0: I didn't so much grow up in church. I have a, a couple of memories, couple of childhood, early childhood memories of church. I can remember going to church on the bus. Uh, I can remember um, the church bake sale. We went to this church that did a, this fundraiser where they had a bake sale every Sunday. And uh, my mom would give me money and we, the, the kids wouldn't, my parents didn't go to church, but uh, the kids would go to church on the church bus and my mom would give me money for offering and I would have this debate. As a kindergartner, of whether or not I should put the money in the offering, or whether I should save it for peanut butter and fudge at the end of the service, and uh, I will tell you that peanut butter fudge won more often than not. Um, I've learned my lesson. I, I, I've given the offering now, and I just trust God to provide the peanut butter fudge. But when I was uh, when I was seven years old, my family moved from Illinois to to Fort Myers, Florida. And my, my brother began to date the daughter of this Baptist pastor. And uh, so we, eight kids, we, we'd get on the bus every Sunday morning and we'd go to Bible Baptist Church in Fort Myers, Florida. It was just a, a few weeks into this that a couple of my siblings were water baptized just as we celebrated water, water baptism this morning. And in that water baptismal service, it happened on a Sunday night. I sat right down in the front row because I wanted to be there to see my, see my siblings baptized. And right out of baptism, pastor preached his message, Reverend R.A. Lane. And he, he, I, I can't tell you what he preached on. I don't remember because like so many of you, I, I zoned out about two minutes in. And then I, I came back, right? When 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 I could tell he was starting to land the plane. Right? And you can tell when a you can tell when a preacher, when he's when he's coming close to the end, when he's gonna land the plane, right? Because so often the voice changes. And they start speaking in what I call the low, slow flow. Dear friends, 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 friends. As we gather here today, 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 today. Right? Have you been in that church service? Yeah. And and I'll never forget Brother Lane's words. And he said this. He said, if you're here tonight and you know, no, 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 beyond a shadow of a doubt that if Jesus returned tonight that you'd go to heaven, I want you to slip up your hand right now. And all over the auditorium, well, it only sat about 120 people, but all over that little auditorium, people raised their hands. I'm sitting in the front row. Uh, I don't raise my hand because I don't know for sure. And then he said, now, some of you are here and you don't know for sure. And friends, you are in danger of everlasting hell. Fire, fire, fire. <laughs> if, you, if you could not raise your hand and know absolutely for sure, you need to not walk. You need to run to this altar. I don't think I walked. I don't think I ran. I think I leaped. I think it was one <laughs> Leap. Which sounds impressive, except for remember it was a very small church. It wasn't much of a leap. Because I didn't know about heaven, but I knew I didn't want this. I knew I didn't want this. It wasn't the love of God that grabbed me. It wasn't the understanding the reality of Jesus. It was an absolute fear of hell. I knew I didn't know what heaven was going to be like, but I knew I didn't want to spend eternity in that. Fear. You know what? As I grew older, as I grew older, I became much better at rationalizing, and much better at theorizing, and much better at, at justifying. And, uh, and hell didn't seem so imposing. In fact, if I listen to some of the popular theology today, here's what they tell me. They tell me that, that hell is a concept, not a reality. That, that hell is a place, but only for a period. That eventually, everybody wins Because of love. That sounds good. And if you're Oprah, that will get people to watch your television show. But friend, I didn't bring you here to frighten you into a relationship with Jesus. But I think it's very important that we understand that facts are our friends. Facts are our friends. And Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven. Isaiah chapter 13 says this. It says, see, the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day with wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within it. The stars of heaven and their constellations will show, will not show their light. The rising Sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. I will punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their sins. I will put an arrogance, an end to the arrogance of the haughty and will humble the pride of the ruthless. God, I I thank you for your word today. I pray that you would use it to be a lamp to our feet, a light into our path. God, that you would use it to cause us to have a greater understanding of who we are and a greater understanding of who you are. We commit this time to you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a a popular thought among theorists, among among agnostics, even atheists, is this, is that if God is so loving, if God exists and he's all-powerful, how can an all-powerful God send people to a place of eternal damnation? And it's, it's very popular and it's very comforting to talk about the love of God. And make no mistake, the love of God is without condition and without measure. For God so loved the world that he gave. But God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. There is no mistake of the magnificence of the love of God. And and we could spend a tremendous amount of time talking about the love of God. Friend, God is not just love. He's also just. Let me say that again. God is not just love. He's also just. One of my favorite movies is the movie A Few Good Men. I, I love it. I love the drama of it. I love the intrigue of it. I love when Jack Nicholson looks right into the camera and says, You can't handle the truth. I've seen the movie probably 40 times, and it's still, when he says that, it still, man, it gets my attention. If you've not seen the movie, the movie is a trial where two Marines are accused of murder. They're accused of murder because they follow an order that was given to them by their superior officer. That officer played by, by Jack Nicholson. And, and at the end of the movie, if you haven't seen it, I'm going to tell you the end. If you haven't seen it by now, shame on you. The end of the movie, Tom Cruise gets Jack Nicholson to admit that he gave the order that they would, that they would uh, severely discipline th- this soldier who ends up dying as a result of the incident. And so Jack Nicholson's character is he's taken off by the MPs. And then at the very end, here are these two soldiers, Lance Corporal Dawson and Private Downey. And as they stand before this military tribunal, they are found not guilty of murder. And there's a sense of relief. But then here are these words. On the charge of acts unbecoming soldier in the United States Marines, we find the defendants guilty. And Private Downing says, what? What do you mean, guilty? We did nothing wrong! We we did nothing wrong! And Lance Corporal Dawson says, oh yes we did. We should have been there to help those who couldn't help themselves. We should have been there for Willie. Let me tell you about me. I'm a sinner. And I sin every day. Much of my sin at this point is not sin of commission, okay? It's not things that I do that are wrong. I've got a pretty good handle on that. I've got pretty good discipline. My sin at this point in my journey is is more those sins of omission. Things I should be doing that I that I don't so much do. But even in those sins of omission, I'm, I'm still guilty. Let me help you. So are you. And the wages of sin, the the effect of sin is this. It's eternal separation from God. And it's also, it's punishment. And it's punishment that you deserve. It's, it's punishment that I deserve. Hebrews chapter 9 says this. It says, and it is appointed for men to die once, and after this is the judgment. Romans 14 tells us this. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Isaiah 53 explains it very clearly. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has gone his own way. Psalm tells us, Psalm 53, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and have committed abominable injustice. There is no one who does good. That's echoed in Romans when it says, There is none righteous, no, not one. We were born in sin. Romans 5.12 says this, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. So the fact that you're a sinner, the fact that I'm a sinner, the fact that we're all sinners, the wrath of God is deserved. It's deserved. None of us are exempt. It's also it's it's demanded it, it, it's often said this if God is loved then hell cannot be a reality because how can a loving God send people to such an awful eternity? But just prior to the American Revolution a circuit preacher by the name of Jonathan Edwards it, it was it was a His ministry was a catalyst to the the Great Awakening, a revival that profoundly touched our nation. And in 1734, he preached a a now-famous sermon entitled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And and in this message, Edwards illustrates that man deserves to be cast into hell. That justice calls out for an eternal punishment of their sins. And, and here's what we find. In Luke chapter 13, it says this. And he, referring to Jesus, began telling this parable. A, a certain man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and, but did not find any. And he said to the, the, the vineyard keeper, Behold, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why did it even use up the ground? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig it around and fertilize it. If then it bears fruit, fine. If not, then you can cut it down. See, it, it's, it's, this, it's this, just as we see this, this mercy towards the fig tree, that's what God gives us. The wrath of God is deserved. The only reason that we don't experience the wrath of God on a regular basis is because of the mercy of God that holds the just hand of God back. For God to not deal with man's sin would compromise God's holiness. And God cannot compromise His divine nature. can't do it. One of the greatest misconceptions of all time is the misconceptions surrounding God's wrath. And specifically, specifically surrounding the view of hell. It's difficult to understand why so often the severity of God's wrath is so grossly understated when it's so vividly described in the the Word of God. And and I want to give you just one example this morning uh, because of time. Revelation 16 says this. It says in Revelation 16, 21, it's talking about the wrath of God being revealed. And it tells us this, that in the time of, 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 of great trouble in the, in, in the time of the tribulation, uh, that that hailstones will fall that will weigh about 100 pounds apiece. Largest hailstones ever to be recorded weighed 1.75 pounds apiece. M- Michael, come here. I want you to help me real quickly. I want you to hold on to this. Have you ever had to deal with hail? Yeah. yeah, Have do damage to your car? How big were the, How big were the hailstones? So golf ball size, baseball size, about golf ball size? A lot of damage to the car. Okay. I want you to imagine for a moment that hitting your car. Now hold on. How much would you say that weighs? What's that? It's a little bit heavier than that. That's. He said 10 pounds. This dude's stronger than what he thinks he is. That's 42 pounds. That's 42 pounds. Okay? So, 42 pounds. I want you to imagine a hailstone two and a half times the size of that bad boy hitting your car. That's a demonstration of the wrath that is deserved. Understand this. God won't give you more than what you deserve. But the sin of man, because the, the, the thing about justice is the scale's balance, right? Okay? So God's not this big bloodshot eyeball in the sky that's, that's going to zap you every time you do something wrong. In fact, God gives you this grace, right? God gives you this do-over. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I mean, this gift that God has given of, uh, of Jesus is an amazing thing. What we deserve is this. What you and I, not just you but me too, we deserve that. Well, two and a half times the size of that. That's significant, isn't it? All right, I want you to take that home with you because you, you're going to need plenty of water for your little girl. But here's the thing: every time you see a bottle, a, a, a bottle of water this size, I want you to think that's the wrath that mankind deserves. Instead, God gives us Jesus. I mean, think about that. That's a massive hailstone, guys, and that's what you deserve, and that's what I deserve. Thank you. You can sit down. That's what. That's what you deserve. That's what I deserve. And and instead, here's what God does. God says this. Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Place your burdens upon me, because I care for you. Make no mistake. The grace of God is significant. But the scales must balance. And here's what I love. When it comes to my life, Because I've made this decision, God, I want to accept your plan for me and I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. God, I admit that sin and I accept the, the, the price that was paid on the cross, that your son paid for my sin because I accept that and God, I give my life to you when I say that you are in charge, you are Lord of my life. Here's what happens. For me, my sin, On one side of the scale, Jesus puts his hand on the other side of the scale. Without that, without the hand of Jesus in my life, would I deserve the wrath of God. And so do you. Now, here's what I I appreciate about God. God doesn't force his hand into my life. God doesn't force his hand into your life. He gives you the opportunity to choose. He explains in great detail in the Word of God, He explains the reality of hell. Let's, let's talk just specific about hell. In the New Testament, there are three Greek words that are translated into the single English word, hell. And, and here's, here's what we learn. Here's what, here's what God's Word says about hell. It tells us that it's a place of torment. In Revelation 2010, he says that those who follow the ways of the world and do homage to a worldview philosophy will be cast into the lake of burning sulfur and tormented day and night forever and ever, day and night forever and ever. Notice that there's nowhere in Scripture where it says that people will experience hell for a segmented portion of time. It's appointed for all men to die once, and then comes the judgment. Purgatory doesn't exist. You will spend eternity with God or eternity separated from God. Eternity with God is heaven and all that heaven is described to be. But eternity without God, it is not annihilation as some religions would have you to believe. It can't be annihilation and here's the reason that we know. If you were here the last few weeks, we talked about the fact that the Bible is real, right? We went into great details, great depths to talk about how the Bible is real. Science proves that it's real. History proves that it's real. Archaeology proves that, that it's real. Prophecy proves that it's real. And we know that the Bible is real. We also know this. We talked about this last week, that Jesus is the only way. No one comes to the Father but by me. A number of years ago, my mom called me uh, my adopted mom, and she called me and she said this, uh, both my folks, and they said, hey, Ed, can you help us? We're in this debate with our pastor. They go to a, 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 a highly liberal church, and, uh, and they, their pastor was preaching on the fact that there was more than one way to God. And, and my mom said to him, what do you do with the scripture when it says that Jesus said, uh, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And their pastor said he didn't really mean it. Really. And he didn't really mean it. Because if he meant it, how would a turtle reconcile itself to God? And so my mom asked me the question, how would a turtle reconcile itself to God? And I said, mom, turtle soup. Because the Bible says no greater love have one than this, that they'd be willing to lay down their life for their friends. There is such goofy theology out there. How does a turtle reconcile itself to God? Okay, here's what we know. Let me, let, me, let me help you with this. When God created, he spoke and it was, he spoke and it was, he spoke and it was, he spoke and it was. He spoke and it came to be, except when he created you. When he created man, he created man completely different. Right? Everything else in creation, when God created it, he spoke and it was. But not so with man. With man, he knelt down, He fashioned man out of the dust of the earth, and then he did what? He breathed on man. He breathed life into man. Why did God in the creation process create man different than all the rest of creation? Because you're different than all the rest of creation because you have a soul, and you have an eternal destiny. See, you don't have 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years of time. You have this, and then you have something beyond this, because your soul will exist eternally. And God has gone to great lengths to secure a great eternal destiny for you. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. That's what the book of Jeremiah tells us. And because of our sin, because of our imperfection, and because of what we deserve, this wrath of God, he provided an alternative, a way out. And that way out is Jesus. But if we don't choose Jesus, we get what we deserve. Hell, a place of torment. Hell, a place of darkness. Jesus says this. In the parable of the wedding banquet, he says, those who are not in the proper attire, those who are covered by his righteousness, that they'll be thrown out into darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. According to Matthew chapter 25, hell is a place that will house Satan and his angels. Those people who are following him now, they will be subjugated by him in all of eternity. Hell is a place without the love of God. Matthew tells us this, depart from me, you accursed ones, into the eternal Fire. It's also a place of memory, right? In Luke 16, 25, it says this that you will remember all the times God begged you to live for him, and all the times you rejected him. It's a place of fire. In Matthew 13:40, Jesus tells us that those who do not walk in his plan, that they will be burned in fire. It is literal in its existence. Moses spoke of it. Moses, Deuteronomy twenty-two thirty-two: For there is a fire in my anger, and it shall burn to the lowest hell. Job talked about it. Job twenty-six six. Job said that hell was naked. David talked about it. Uh, Proverbs uh, 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 or Psalm nine seventeen: The wicked shall be turned to hell. Solomon talked about it. Proverbs twenty-seven twenty: Hell and destruction are never full. Isaiah talked about it. Hell has enlarged itself and has opened her mouth without measure. Jesus spoke of it. Matthew five twenty two. Whoever shall say, "Thou fool," shall be in danger of hell fire. If your right eye offends you, pluck it out. For it's better to go with one eye than to go to hell. Hell is literal in its existence. It is literal in its punishment. It is eternal in its duration. And it is lovingly escapable. It is not God's intention for anyone to spend eternity in hell. The reality of hell. And the reality of where you are today should grip you on multiple levels. Number one is this. If you're here today and you walked in as a skeptic or as a seeker, I'm convinced that God brought you here specifically this Sunday to capture your attention. Those of you that are watching via live stream, those of you that will be watching on Good Live 45, you have no ex- excuse. You cannot plead ignorance. Because God has provided this moment for you to bring to you to a solid understanding that you deserve the wrath of God. That the wrath of God is real not because God is bad but because justice must be served. In fact, God is love. He has provided a way of escape for you to where you don't get what you deserve and instead you get what he offers. And because of the freedom that he's given you, you get to choose. You get to choose. Choose you this day whom you shall serve. I don't know if it's good or bad to use the scare tactic that Brother Lane used in 1970, hot August night in 1973. I don't want people to run to God because they're afraid of hell. I want them to run to God because they realize how wonderful He is and and, and what He offers. I think it's important to know what He is, what He has rescued us from. What He rescues us from. And if you're here this morning, I will say to you the same thing the Reverend Ari Lane said to me, on that hot August night. And I tell you what, sitting in that church, if you want to, you want to. You want to preach on hell and get a response. Preach in a church that has no air conditioning in southern Florida in August. I believed in hell. I was experiencing a little bit there in that front pew at Bible Baptist Church. The folks are regulars, they knew to bring the fan. I didn't know anything about a fan. They're not going to share. That's your problem, boy. Woo, it's hot. That's why we have air conditioning here. Maybe if we turn it off one Sunday, the baptism will be more full. Just a thought. How about you? If Jesus chose today to return, or if the consequences of your life means that today is your final day, are you ready? Are you prepared to stand before God? In fact, if tonight would be the end of your life and you would stand before God and He would say to you, "Why should I let you into My heaven?" What would you say? And here's what a lot of people would say: Well, I've done more good things than bad things, and so I, I think, I think when it all balances out, I think I'm more good than bad, so I think He's going to let me in. Wrong. The fact that there's any bad on that scale, boom. For the wages of sin is death. It is impossible for you to balance the scale on your own. That's not just you, it's true with me too. It's impossible for me to balance a scale on my own because I can't become perfect. But God demonstrated his love for me, for you. For God so loved you that he gave his only son. And he says, listen, I offer this to you. I offer the opportunity for that sin to be gone. And for in your life, the scale, not just a balance, but the scale, the tip, massively in your favor for blessing. Right? Because God doesn't just want you to escape hell. He wants you to experience the power of God and the presence of God and the anointing of God and the comfort of God and the peace of God and the wisdom of God and the provision of God and the blessing of God. He wants you to experience that. It is a cool thing to serve Jesus. And life works. Our church sometimes makes it complicated. Okay? All that rules and regulations stuff you're here today or you're watching via video and you've got burnt or beat up by the church, I apologize for that. Here's what I will tell you. Put your hand in Jesus' hand. Trust Him. And number two, even if you've experienced that at Calvary in the past, I will tell you what, this is a brand new Calvary. On on, on a lot of levels. On a lot of levels. So if you don't know for certain where you'd spend your eternal destiny, this is the time to secure that. This is the time to say, Jesus, I know that I'm less than perfect. And I know what I deserve. Thank you for you paying the price for what I deserve. And instead, offering me this path through your grace that leads to eternal life. Let me tell you the second thing that it should do. From the moment that you accept this gift of Jesus that sets you free from the hell that you deserve and opens up blessing for you now and an eternal destiny in heaven, it should cause you to be a passionate and a purposeful worshiper. He deserves to be worshiped, honored, adored, praised. Every time we gather together, this place should echo the praises of people who have been set free. Third is this, and I know I've talked about this a lot lately, I've talked about this a lot lately because it's so very important and it's time for the church to get it. Who around you is dying and going to a Christless eternity? And because you don't want to offend them, because you don't want to be misunderstood, because you don't want to be labeled or judged, you say nothing. Oh, I don't want to be one of those. I totally understand. I don't want to be one of those either. I've dealt with Christians that think they're better than me. You're not. Just saying. because it's not anything that you've done. Oh, I bring my Bible every Sunday. Good job. Pastor, I'm, I'm faithful in bringing in the tithe and the offering. Way to go. It is only because of His grace. You're saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. The Bible does not say that I'm supposed to go out there and tell people how wrong they are and how bad they are and, and what sinners they are. But it does say this. It says that I'm supposed to let my light so shine that they see my good works and glorify my Father who's in heaven. If they don't understand that it's Jesus in me, how in the world can they glorify my Father who's in heaven? And the Bible says this. It says I'm supposed to go out of the highways and byways and compel them to come in. You ever dealt with a salesperson that by the end of the conversation, you're convinced that you're doing him a favor, that you're doing her a favor to buy their product? On the contrast, have you ever had that salesperson that they're so obnoxious and abrasive that you just want to punch them right in the throat? Seriously, get away from me. Get away from me. I came here knowing that I needed your product, but I'm so frustrated with you. My TV is broken. I need a new TV. But you, I want to break the TV over your head. Leave me alone. Right? We've all dealt with those obnoxious salespeople, but we've also dealt with those people that, man, they listen to us. The uh, the guy that I bought the car from that I'm driving around attends the church here. Great guy. You know what? He was such a huge help to me, and and I was appreciative of that. He helped me to understand what my needs were and, and, and what best met those needs. I consider Him a friend. See, if we do this the right way, people won't be put out by us. Eh, a few people will, but you know what? They're, they're already upset anyway. I can honestly say this in my life the people that I've invited to church, the people that I've talked to about Jesus, the number of folks that have been appreciative, it's exponentially larger than those who have been offended. But the enemy would like to keep us bound in fear to where we're not the witness that God has called us to be. But here's what I know, and I'm going to close with this. By the way, if you've grown up and you know this thing about the low, slow flow, right? When the preacher's getting ready to land the plane, you also know this, that when the preacher says, and with this I close, it means absolutely nothing. He could still go on for days. Baby dedication and all these baptisms, I mean, that that took up a lot of my time. But I'm going to bring this to a quick close. I'm going to give you an opportunity to come to an altar. In Matthew 25, Jesus says this, listen very carefully to his words. Jesus says this, when the Son of Man comes, okay, that statement that he's saying, when the Son of Man comes, he's referring to when the Messiah returns, when when Jesus returns, he says this, when the Son of Man comes, all the nations will gather before him. All of mankind will gather before him. And he will separate the nations. He will separate the people. Much like a shepherd will separate the sheep from the goats. And he will say to those he considers to be sheep, come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom that has been prepared for you since the foundation of the world. And on His left, He'll put the goats and He'll say, Depart from Me, you cursed ones, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And the difference between the sheep and the goats is what they did and did not do. Jesus says this, many will say, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not, in essence, did we not act very religious and very churchy for you? And he'll say, depart from me, for I never knew you. If you really understand the love of God, the grace of God and the mercy of God, it has to permeate every area of your life. And that includes how you respond to other. The, the ending of a few good men, Lance Corporal Dawson gets that. It's easy to say, I didn't do anything wrong. And here's my concern, is that far too many people who profess to be Christians, they're living their life with a determination not to do anything wrong, all the while missing what God has wonderfully, dynamically, strategically placed you to do that is right. and all around us 59.6% of the people that live in orange county and Seminole county don't have any kind of religious affiliation but every one of those people have a hole in their life that only Jesus can fill i'm compelled i challenge you to be compelled to strategically and rightly demonstrate Jesus to them and compel them to accept this plan that He has. Because hell absolutely exists. Stand with me.